0: Hey, welcome to Trains Live, the Trains.com podcast. In this episode, we're talking with Ed Dickens of the Union Pacific Heritage STEAM program. He's going to tell us all about his experiences and challenges in restoring and operating Union Pacific 4014, the big boy. Do you like what you hear? Listen, check out this episode in video with a Trains.com unlimited membership. Click the link in the episode notes and watch it today. Oh, wait a minute. Not a member? Try our 30-day free trial of Trains.com, the ultimate online portal for anyone who loves trains of any size from any era. Trains.com, it's your home for the most comprehensive roading news and curated video series, articles, photos, and so much more. Hey folks, this is Trains Live, the Trains.com podcast in this episode, I sit down with Trains Magazine Passenger Correspondent Bob Johnston to talk all about Amtrak, the past, the present, and the future. Program for you this afternoon, and we're going to make a couple of technical adjustments while we are working here, and I'm going to bring my guest in for today right away here. There we go. Whoops. Let's get over to here. There we are. From Cheyenne, Wyoming, the home of the big boy in the Union Pacific STEAM program, Ed Dickens is with us today, and we are going to be doing a bit of a a follow-up on the recent Big Boy trip, and I I got to go along on that incredibly neat thing. Um, Before we we start having our conversation, Ed, let me remind folks, if you're watching us on Facebook and you have questions, hey, type those in, um, or just, you know, say hi to us if you want. We'll try to get the questions uh, through as we are going along. Um, Also, remember, sure you like the Trains Facebook page, and hey, if you're not a subscriber to trains.com by this point. You need to be there because cool stuff. Cool stuff. We'll talk about that more later. So, Mr. Dickens, we went on a on an excursion and uh, everything went pretty darn well.
1: There you go. I got you. There we Hi go. There. All
0: right. All right. So we went Cheyenne down to Denver and, and
1: everything went pretty darn well. Yes, it did. Okay. Yeah. All of the hard work pays off and all of the preventive maintenance, all the things that everybody who runs a steam locomotive will always do, and that's take good care of it, run it good, oil it, grease it, just have a good time. Okay. Now, you get back to Cheyenne, and
0: I'm going to assume that this isn't just like putting the car in the garage and we roll it in, throw the garage door down, throw the keys on the hoop and go home. What, what happens after we take a run with the big boy?
1: Well, that's a very good question. It's one we get asked all the time. And uh, it, it reminds you why the big boy, why the steam locomotives in general were replaced by diesel locomotives. And that's just a tremendous amount of work. So it takes uh, a a good five to six days for that locomotive to cool off enough to where we can drain the water (laughs) and wash it. Five to six days. And, uh, you know, back in the old days, steam locomotives, they would cool them down and steam them up very, very quickly. It was a utilitarian uh, workhorse, and it wasn't making any money sitting around looking pretty. So they really... Uh, they really got him in and got him out fast. It's a little bit different with our locomotive fleet. These locomotives, uh, given the age of the pressure vessels and everything else, it's not that we baby it, but we take really good care of it. So we're really careful about thermal expansion, contraction. We let it come up really slow. We let it go down really slow. Okay, and then we just have a long scope.
0: Five. I mean, five to six days from, so that's, that's basically almost a week after the excursion, um, and you know, I think about this in, in perspective of where you're sitting and, and your comment about, you know, today it's a lot different. I mean, there used to be over five thousand people working in Cheyenne to take care of steam locomotives and uh, and everything else that went in and on in the roundhouse in the back shop there. So, yeah, you know, radically different different picture. My other question: there, you said you also bring the locomotive up slowly, so. Before the trip that we just went on, how how long before did you begin firing the boiler?
1: Well, it depends on how long of a trip we're gonna be. If we're gonna go out for a month, we're limited to 31 service days. So we're ready to go, the boiler's ready, the locomotive's ready, everything is ready to go, and we have one service day before our departure. So that means that we're gonna steam it up just the day before. Wow. In this instance okay. here, we had a few things to work on. So we had it steamed up several days prior. But steaming up means that you actually have a fire in the firebox, and that mm-hmm. technically constitutes what we call a service day. We have a, a house boiler here. It's actually part of our support equipment in the Howard Fog, and we oh, wow. steam it from there. And we can steam it for multiple days, again, bringing that water up very cl- very slowly. Okay. We start by filling it with very hot water, about 180 degree water, and we oh, just wow. fill it and that takes several days by the time we get that water in there within a few hours that boiler is heating and expanding and doing its thing you know realize that crown sheet on this thing is 30 feet long and the boiler itself grows over an inch so we're just really diligent about cooling it up and getting it ready Okay, so this isn't a.
0: I mean, it's not. It's not like somebody's walking in and saying, "Okay, turn on the oil feed and light a fire and let's go." You're already putting warm or hot water, 180 degrees. That's fairly hot. You're already. You're already preheating the boiler, if you will. For days out, correct. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. And and radically different from what it was when the big boys were actually originally operating. That's that is that's that's incredible. Other thing, okay, after we get back from a, from a trip, what, what does the crew do? I mean, do you folks sit down and say, hey, this went really good. Um, I noticed this didn't work just right. Um, we need to look at, uh, you know, X, Y, or Z on the locomotive. Is there something like that that takes place?
1: Well, throughout every day, both in the morning and at night, we have a fairly lengthy checklist that goes through all of the action items that must be done. Everything on the locomotive, all the regulatory work, all what we call the railroad work. And that's the full steam locomotive work scope. And from there, we have information that we'll fill out on those forms. And it's from there that we determine where, where we need to work, what needs adjusted, what needs fixed. Some of it we can handle as what we call a running repair or an adjustment in the field. Uh, But our plan is to keep all that stuff to a minimum and just service and run the locomotive and and keep all the repair work home. Uh, When we're in the field for a long time, I mean, invariably steam locomotives are old technology and there are adjustments and things that you'll need to manage. Uh, You know, oftentimes you might have an injector that springs a leak here and there, or there's some other issue. When we rebuilt the big boy we had a very good vision in mind what we needed it to be so we made it very heavy duty from the beginning the all all big steam locomotives or any steam locomotive for that matter they're heavy duty by their very nature and we went that a little bit more to make it easy on us when we're in the field
0: okay all right anything crop up from this trip that you can share that
1: is getting some special attention not really. You know, everything is pretty, pretty much perfunctory. Everything just rolls along and, and uh, we're, we're ready for that next adventure. Uh, <laughs> there is a lot of work uh, okay. just getting the locomotive ready to go. Steam locomotives are designed to be running. And that boiler with all the water chemistry and how you manage that chemistry, it's best to keep them running. Uh, Most of the corrosion and all of your wear and tear happens in two ways, three actually. One, actual operation. Two, disassembly and maintenance. And uh, when you take the locomotive apart, almost every valve on that locomotive has to be disassembled and we'll service it. We go through a specific checklist, all the piping, the valves, the cylinders, the piston rod, valve rod, air pumps, dynamos, injectors, everything, atomizer, blower, all of those pipings and everything is all serviced and conditioned with a special solution to prevent it from corroding. And that's where your damage occurs when the locomotive is just sitting there waiting for you to steam it up again. All of that water, which in some cases It's a a corrosive form of water because it's in a pure form, oxygenated with uh, free oxygen in the air. And so you've really got to go to great lengths to make sure your locomotive is cared for properly. Because when you go to use it again, you're going to find all the little things that you forgot about. (laughs) And and then you're going to have to fix that before you're ready to go again.
0: Sure, sure. Old pilot friend of mine said, "You know, if it doesn't work on the ground, it's not going to
1: work at thirty thousand feet." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: right.
1: So, that's a great analogy. You mm-hmm. know, uh, the the yeah, I I was. Uh, into paramotoring for a while and there's you know it's better to be on the ground wishing you were up there than being (laughs) up there wishing you were down here and the same is true with the steam locomotive sure you know sitting there with the locomotive right now in the shop when it has Mm -hmm. zero pressure on it is the time to fix something not when it's got 300 psi and 425 degrees wishing that it didn't (laughs) okay i think we have wait a minute there we go the question bell
0: has sounded, Vince. What do we have? All right. Um, we have a couple of questions. Uh, the first one is um, question for Ed. Have there been any shortages related to the pandemic or post-pandemic that you've okay. noticed in your operations because of the pandemic? Any shortage of supplies or anything that that you have needed to keep the locomotive running that you haven't been able to get a hold of?
1: Well, that's a that's a very good question. And um, I've got, I've got Ted here in the window, Uh, real quick, I'll answer your question. Well, fortunately, we have a very good inventory here and we've got the supplies and materials and everything pretty well in house, so we haven't suffered anything from, uh, from much. Uh, we've got Ted pulling up in the drive through window. There is you know go. Ed, Ed
0: is talking to us from his office in the uh, STEAM headquarters there in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And in the back of his office, he was, was telling us before we came on air here this afternoon so that he can see out in the shop and to also uh, be convenient for the, the crew there. They put in a what they call the drive-up window. You don't, you can't get fries there, but you can get information. Um, looks like one of the guys has pulled up. So, Ed, we'll let you take care of that, and I'll get the next question for Vince here, okay. or from Vince. Right. So go ahead. Um, has the steam crew thought about uh, extreme weather conditions in the West, anything from droughts to extreme heat? Have uh, steam operations or routes changed because of weather? Oh, okay. Uh, weather? All right did we do we get the drive-through window taken care of <laughs> we did that's that's
1: okay. ted schulte everyone oh A locomotive Hello, engineer ted. locomotive fireman extraordinaire beautiful
0: beautiful ted welcome to trains live question question was this um ed with with the changing climate there in the west Um, You know, we've seen wildfires in California. We've seen drought. We've seen high winds. We've seen um, extreme winters. Has that changed any of your thinking as far as, uh, you know, where the big boy is going to be operated or how it's going to be operated or when it's
1: going to be operated? Well, generally, the, the steam locomotive is just like it was in the 1940s. And uh, the the plans that we have for operation, all of those factors are taken into consideration before we announce that we will go on a trip. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of the actual heat, uh, that affects us, those of us that are in the locomotive, all of the steam crew that works around the locomotive, of course. Uh, Last year down in New Orleans, it was very, very warm. And in the cab (laughs) of the steam locomotive, it's extremely warm. And so we we do think about where we're going to be and how hot it's going to be there. Uh, the issue is, is that we want to be there while school's out, and we want to be there during weekends and during good weather, so that usually means it's going to be hot. Sure,
0: sure. The right, last thing we want is... is... Big boy contributing to truancy and delinquency of kids. Yeah, no, it makes sense though. It makes sense. <laughs> so, um, let me transition a little bit to the actual trip that we we went on between Cheyenne and Denver, and of course, I got to ride with you from Greeley going north um, back to Cheyenne, and uh, it was it was a heck of an experience. And you ever got a seat open again, and I get permission to do so, I I've, I'll come along with you guys. I mean I'll I'll carry buckets of oil if I have to you know to get on board but um listen there was something that I noticed in the cab um you know when you 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 think of a steam locomotive it's motion it's it's very ordered chaos like you said it's it's hot it's loud um but then I started noticing some of the little subtle things that that were going on in the cab and um one you know the whistle it is it is very different when you hear it in the cab from what you hear on the, when you're standing trackside. But a step further, even um, you seem to be able to play that whistle. And when I, the big one I was noticing is when you're 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 giving the signal for the grade crossings, the two longs, a short and a long. You know that, that first long, it was it was very clean. Down with the cord, release the second long started and then you did this thing with the whistle chord where you kind of pulled it a little bit almost looked like a little bit to the side and got kind of a, a single low note then the short hop and then that low note again and then into the long the long blast there. So what were you doing? What's the secret? Because that was, what you were hearing was incredible. Well that's, uh,
1: that's something that you can tell that we like that. I like it. Uh, it's it's part of a long apprenticeship that you serve when you begin working around a steam locomotive, and it's a uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of it. So there's a lot of pride that comes with that. Um, I've, I, I, I had the honor and privilege of knowing Howard Fogg, and he had made a oh, series geez. of recordings over the years where he recorded all kinds of steam locomotive engineers. And back then, the steam locomotive was more, again, a, a very utilitarian machine. Engineers blew it with some artistic form. Uh, in the steam world today, we don't run the steam engine very much. And by regulation, we are required to sound that very tone that you mentioned. It's a regulation. Over 40 miles an hour, the moment you pass that X, the, the sequence must begin and okay. it's to be repeated in a very specific duration. And that run between Denver and Cheyenne, we're going to blow the whistle, well over 100 sequences. So you might as well be, have fun with it and make it interesting. <laughs> and, okay. and that's how that's how it comes to be. Uh, in the beginning of my steam locomotive career, I, I immediately, when I was first exposed to the steam locomotive, something happened to me. Uh, I forgot college, I forgot everything, and I was going to be around a steam locomotive. And so the moment that I had the opportunity to sound that whistle, it was like there was a lot of heart there, and it's still there. And, okay. And I tell the guys, oh. um, just a, another quick segue, while mm-hmm. we're on display, we blow the whistle for entertainment purposes, but it's not a toy. We're using it kind of like a toy in that moment. And I Mm -hmm. tell everybody, I kind of lean up and I whisper in their ear and I tell them about the pride that they have, what it means. And you can see it in their eyes. There are times when you'll see a little tear (laughs) forming. And (laughs) and then you'll see them look out over the crowd of people because everybody's cheering when they hear that whistle. And they're like, wow. And there's a connection that's made there. And that's what it's all about—that connection yeah. and the pride. Absolutely, you know, there are two two. I think of my favorite pictures that I took while
0: uh, in Greeley. Uh, I think it was on the downbound trip. Um, there's a there's a picture of you in the cab, and you're 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 pointing at the ears here, and then you know the whistle is is sounded, and um, you know I have a couple of shots of, of the varying degrees of people and how they're plugging their ears, and you know it's. It, to me, it was neat. You know, the adults knew what was about to happen, and there was some brave young men standing. And I'm, you know, a young man, five, six years old. That ah, this big locomotive's not going to scare me until that whistle sounds. <laughs> yeah, that's <then> like. <laughs> so. Now, listen. Was it was I right though? In that uh, between the the long blasts, you are kind of playing that whistle chord, even pulling it off to the side a little bit.
1: Yeah, okay yeah, You can vary the opening, and there, therefore, you can modulate the pressure, okay. and you, that varies the tone because the steam is coming out of an area around the base of the chime, the actual whistle casting, and, and depending on how fast, you know, how much steam is blowing, you're going to get a different tone, and you can vary that whole musical chord that way. Sure, uh, and that's that's what we do, and at every time there is a specific reason because as I said, the whistle's mm-hmm. not a toy. It's a very important tool that we use yeah. and it communicates. So in that scenario, when you heard me, when you saw me doing that, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting ready to communicate to everyone yeah. that we're going to do something. Yeah. And most importantly, we're communicating to those of us on the crew what we're doing and I'm stating my intentions. Sure. And we talk on the radio, but the, the whistle is a, the, the most effective way to communicate. Yeah. And real quick, I want to introduce uh-huh. Jimmy Thompson. This is Jimmy Thompson, Boilermaker. Jimmy, welcome to Trains the- Live. <laughs> well, all
0: right, thank you, John. Yeah. Oh, hey, we we got, got some John more of the here. crew. They
1: just pulled up to the drive-through window.
0: Okay, okay, there we go. You're looking at more of the Union Pacific steam crew. Uh, we're talking with Ed Dickens and his group here from uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. And the guys just very casually filtering into the office there as we're talking. Um, I, I'll tell you what, I yeah, you and I have been talking about this, but man, I'll tell you, to shake every one of these guys' hands, especially the ones standing there in the background, the rest of the crew, for what they're doing, it's, it is incredible. It's incredible. So...
1: Oh, thank you for saying that. I, I just wanted to <laughs> let you know that we've got Austin Barker's on vacation today, so he ah. can't be here. Normally he'd be standing here with us. We've okay. got Garland Baker, Ted Schulte, Kurt Clark, uh, Jim Leonard, you know, our full crew, Paul Garishio, Bruce Kirk, you know, uh, all of us that are on the crew. Uh, cool. But unfortunately, uh, those guys are on vacation <laughs> today. And Ted Schulte, he took yeah. off when he he saw there was a camera. He didn't want to be on it. <laughs> he so we're going to be, go around want any part of that. You'll
0: find, find that out. <laughs> hey, you know that 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 kind of leads me actually into um, my next question here. Um, Austin Barker was uh, was fireman with you the day that I rode. Um, are there are there certain engineers that are paired with certain firemen, or how how do you determine who's who's got the duty on a given day?
1: Well, on a short trip like that, you know, we're we're building what we call our succession planning. So we're building the next generation of steam firemen and steam engineers. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I've got myself and Ted are qualified steam locomotive engineers. Kurt Clark is next in line, and behind that, we're working on a path to get Austin in the pipeline. We also have uh, the two gentlemen right behind me. Uh, they're going to begin serving their apprenticeship, starting out as what we call an engine watchman, and then we'll transition okay. them into beginning to start their training, being a locomotive fireman. But it's a long process. But to answer your question specifically, uh, be- because we're such a small crew, you know, there's just a few of us. Okay. So I do, uh, Ted and I do most of the running, and Ted, Kurt, and Austin, they do most of the firing. Okay. And so we, we break it up like that. There's times when we have a potentially long day. We've got hours of service considerations. Therefore, sure. uh, we, we need to have a relief for me in the event that we get out there too long, which we try to avoid that, but it happens mm-hmm. from time to time. So, so it's pretty much uh, what you see is what you get in that cab. <laughs> We're a pretty small crew. All right. Vince,
0: you have another question for us this afternoon. Yes. Uh, Bruce asks, why was the headlight changed? Ah, good. good. Let's see what uh, we have to say said. Um, I noticed on this trip, as uh, Bruce, our, one of our viewers, just mentioned that we went from the single beam headlight to looks like a, a contemporary uh, dual headlight. Any particular reason?
1: Yeah, lots of good reasons there, mainly okay. just the visibility. So okay. think about back in the 1940s, the Union Pacific Railroad out in this part of the country wasn't very densely populated. Nope. Wasn't yeah. a lot of grade crossings. <laughs> wasn't a lot of uh, interactions between other people in the railroad. And therefore, that old-fashioned uh, 250-watt, 32-volt light bulb, <laughs> yep. that that did the job. A lot of times you'd see trains during the daylight hours, the headlight wasn't even on. Uh, the the headlight in our world today, it's a, it's a very legal, important signaling device. Yep. Uh, railroads back east, for example, New York Central, uh, Norfolk Western, other railroads that had the twin sealed beam headlight unit, even early on back in the 40s and into the 50s. So it is a steam locomotive era headlight, uh, but it's just a, a matter of providing greater visibility for us in the event we run at night. And it also, those are halogen bulbs. They're 32 volts each. So they do provide uh, a greater degree of illumination, but it also provides great, uh, how do you say the word, conspicuity?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Everybody knows
1: the big boy's coming, but there's a lot of people out there that uh, they're not there to see the big boy. They're there to to cross the tracks, and we want to make sure that, that that locomotive presents a very... A very good vis- visual appearance to it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we we could do we could we could
0: talk a whole hour on some of the safety issues and and that's yeah. But no, that that is, that is very valid to be able to see something that big coming down the tracks, uh, and especially when it when when speed can actually be deceptive at at a distance. Um, if there's anybody out there who remembers high school science, the Doppler effect it also affects light and how you are perceiving that train coming down the
1: tracks. Um, Ed, you, you kind of, li- go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, the, the other thing too is, uh, you know, in, in terms of how our our cities and the entire network is so densely populated, there is so much light pollution at night. Yes. Uh, that 250 watt bulb, it just doesn't cut it when you've got so many other lights facing you at night. Uh, even when you're out in the darkness, the, the very limited light that that thing projects in front of you, um, you know it just takes one time running at night and you goes this this doesn't work <laughs> we need something <laughs> brighter standing That's out right. there with an LED flashlight. <laughs>
0: well, let's let's talk a little bit about running. Is that, that was one thing that I also was impressed by in the in the cab, um, you know the the out in front of you there is about another eighty five feet plus of locomotive. Um, And I noticed that, you know, track speed when we were running Greeley to Colorado, um, we were ranging between, you know, 20 and about 45, 49 miles an hour. Uh, As you're you're looking out there, first of how how far ahead are you looking and making your decisions? And then also kind of what are you really thinking about as we're just on a run like that?
1: Well, you you know your stopping distance. You have a seat of your pants feel that you know what your stopping distance is. So you're looking as far out as you can possibly be. And for those of our friends that enjoy standing close to the track, we we naturally, we we want to remind them to stay back 25 feet. Mm -hmm. We know that a lot of people are not gonna get that message to us and we wanna be patient and understand that they're there to get a photograph. But uh, there's a lot of people that are close and sometimes our friends uh, will put a GoPro or an iPhone or something between the rail. You will be very surprised to learn how far out I can see that and I will stop and pick it up because we want to discourage everyone from that type of unsafe act. We know how neat it is to have your video on YouTube run over by the big boy. We want to discourage those videos because of the obvious uh, safety implications with that type of conduct. So to answer your question, I can see way, way ahead. (laughs) And you're looking out based on your speed, based on the curvature, based on your line of sight, how much you can see looking for signals, automobiles, you know, anything, Uh, anything and everything.
0: Okay. All right. Um, back to kind of the. This is more than a job, and you know when 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 you look at the big boy. I mean, you guys, Union Pacific, your crew, you you have got a a piece of equipment there that that really is. It's an American icon. Um, I mean, it is it is woven into the history, the fabric of this country. Um, You know, I mean, I think of some other transportation icons, Uh, you know, the the Goodyear airship, uh, the Budweiser Clydesdales, you know, heck, I'd even throw in the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. You you see those things come by and you got to stop and you got to look at them. And I mean, the, the, the big boy is is that way as well. You know, what's it like for you and the rest of the crew? You pull into Greeley, Colorado, and I know on the downbound trip, um, I was told there was somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 people packed into those few blocks waiting to see this thing. What, what is that like?
1: Well, it's not just a job for all of us, not just those of us on the crew, but all of our ground support, our colleagues in Omaha, our bosses our brothers and sisters in our our sister shop out there in Council Bluffs. You know, this is something that we we realize how special it is. This iconic Union Pacific locomotive, it's an iconic American locomotive. It's something yes. that people are really rallying behind the story of the big boy. It's something that you can feel. So the other day I uh, I felt this and I I, I I made a nice post on Facebook that I I, yes. I was hoping there was a way some way that we could share that the feeling that we we get because you can actually it's a palpable feeling and the people loving on the locomotive that's the best way to put it when that locomotive rolls into Greeley as you mentioned and there's thousands of people swarming the locomotive you can feel the happiness you can feel the joy you can hear the cheering yes and see the smiling faces and it's something that you can feel and that that's, is never lost on, on, a, on any of us, you know, when the, the, the days are long and the work is hard. Mm-hmm. Because for everyone that works on the railroad, it's a tough job. It's a tough industry. Yeah. Add to that the steam locomotive and everything that comes to how difficult the steam locomotive is. And, and you've got, people say, you've got the best job in the world. And we do. Yeah. But there's a lot of work to it and it's yes. that love all that feeling that just makes everything worth it you know the blowing the whistle that mm-hmm. that's a big part of it you know when you can feel uh the enjoyment that people have when they hear the whistle when they you know it uh it, it almost universally brings smiles to the faces and sometimes there's a little bit of um Almost a, a little bit of fear behind that smile, uh-huh. but it's something you can feel. <laughs> I'm going to have Jimmy. I'm going to have Jimmy answer that question real quick. Jimmy sure. Thompson standing right here. Okay. Jimmy, what, what do you think? Let's get Jimmy's response. Then we got a
0: question. Go ahead, Jimmy. right okay. well, It's pretty cool to see all the people come out and take a look
1: at the hard work that the crew has done in preparing this engine. And um, it's just a pleasure to see all the smiles and. And uh, sometimes it's a little stressful because you're trying to keep people back. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, it's, yeah. it's a good turnout.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, Jimmy, when you like the trip here now between Cheyenne and, and Denver, where were you riding on the train? So when we go out on the road, we have uh, two chase vehicles. One is okay. a pickup with a water pump in it. And the other vehicle is for shuttling the crew around when we get to our destination. Sure. Okay. And so I was I was driving one of the pump trucks and uh, we, me and my partner, John, who was sitting next to me, uh-huh. we were both driving the chase vehicles. Okay, you were the, you were the two guys that after the big boy left Greeley, I saw walking through the parking lot, tired and, and looking for the soft cushion to sit on. <laughs> yeah? All right, Vince has a question for us. Go ahead, Vince, from one of our viewers. All right, is uh, 3985 keeping its whistle or getting a new one? Ah, okay. Ed, when when 3985 is transferred uh, um, to the folks there in Silvis, the friends of the 261, um, is the original whistle going with it, or is it going to have a replacement? We'll let you know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. All right. And, and, a, and a totally different subject, but I assume that is a project that you guys are, are in the midst of working on, uh, making that transfer. Okay. We'll we'll talk about that at, at some point in the future there. And we've got another question here. Um. Can uh question for Ed? Can you share anything about plans and timing for uh, the donation trip to Sylvester? Oh. Company? Okay. All right. Um. That donation trip. Any any plans that you can speak of at this point? No, we're
1: we're not prepared to release any uh, information on that. We sure. Those okay. Work here. Bear in mind that carrying a locomotive, the, the, the Challenger, uh, it's lots of work, but the machine pieces of it, the roller bearings, and things of that nature. Okay. Uh, by virtue of its role as a Challenger, it's in pretty good sh- pretty good shape from a roller bearing standpoint. So it's ready to roll. Sure. 5511, on the other hand, that's a pretty old locomotive that hasn't yeah. turned a wheel in, uh, before I was even born. <laughs> so uh, we've got, okay. we, we have it up, and it's moving, and it's rolling, and it's rolling actually pretty free, plus we have the other equipment. So we've got a little bit of work yet ahead of sure. us, but we, we'll be sure and, and make those uh, media announcements and and share our schedule information and everything when we get down that road a little bit.
0: You know, we can, we can leave it this way very easily. Hey, folks that you're watching, trains.com, Newswire. Guarantee you we'll have it there when it's released to us. <laughs> so let me wrap up this way today, Ed. You know, if if I were a youngster, which I was at one point, and, and actually my, my first encounter with the big boy was probably when I was about five or six. I think there's a picture floating around somewhere of me standing on the, the front platform of the one at Green Bay, but... Somebody comes up to you, young man today, and says, hey, I, I want to do what you guys are doing when I grow up. Where do they got to go? What do they got to start? What should they be doing as they move through their younger years in school and, and whatnot?
1: Well, I, I love that question, and I get asked that a lot, and I take mm-hmm. it very seriously. So standing behind me, you've got John and Jimmy here. Both of them, years ago, had had a vision. That they wanted to be a part of a crew like this. And here they are. So follow your dreams. It starts out very simple. Listen to your parents. Make your bed. Follow orders. Listen <laughs> to go. your teachers. Get good yep. grades. Be a good citizen. All of those things build the character necessary for you to do any job. If you want to work on a steam locomotive, you're going to have to make decisions and put yourself in a situation to be, have marketable skills. And that means you're gonna need to go volunteer someplace. Steam locomotive jobs are few and far between. Mm -hmm. Uh, If that's what you really want, then you're going to have to pursue that. It won't come to you, you have to go to it. And so make your bed, listen to your parents, get straight A's if you can. And do, right. always do your best, but you have to take that action and you have to put yourself out there and get some really good skills, welding, machining, uh, whatever it is you want to do on the locomotive is a very physical job, typically, and you're going to have to put those hours in as, as a volunteer, get along with people, be a good person, be friendly. All of those things are going to help open doors for you and uh, help pave the way for you to fulfill your dream.
0: Let me tell you what. Anybody that's watching, if you remember the trip the big boy made in uh, 2019 through the Midwest here, um, I I saw the big boy when you stopped in Altoona, Wisconsin. and, And Ed, beyond just the locomotive and everything else impressive about the whole thing, there was one thing that day. Um, that I I remembered from you and the rest of the crew. Um, You guys were kind of posted around the locomotive. Um, It was a humid, hot Wisconsin summer day, hotter than all get out. And you and that crew stood there for about three, three and a half hours, and you answered every single question that people came up to you with. There wasn't anybody that that you guys walked away from or didn't take the time to listen to. And I'll tell you what, what you just said about, hey, if I want to, you know, do something neat like this in my life, this is where I got to start. Man, you guys, you're it. You, you are the example. You definitely are. So... Um, I tell you what, heck of an experience that I've had with you guys. I will, I will come along anytime you let me. Um, time for us to wrap up here today. So I got to thank you and the rest of the crew for for joining us and um, you know watching Vince's screen over there. I know folks have been just all up and down on this, and we'll probably watch it again on trains.com. So thank you so much. Uh, be safe as you keep working, and, and we'll look for you out there again sometime, hopefully soon. All right. Okay, thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hey, before we leave today, we need to uh, visit Mr. Bob's uh, bookshelf here. And um, I want to pull off a couple of books that we actually had uh, in our last episode when we talked about the big boy. Um, Cratville's book, Big Boy, and uh, the Locomotive Encyclopedia, from 1941, both of them with information about the big boy. And the reason I bring them back was that we had a couple of viewers uh, send in questions and say, hey, I can't find those books in my library. They're not going to be in my library. Um, you know, where, why, how can I get a hold of these? Okay, folks. <laughs> you got to you got to do a little work here. You got to you got to reach for this one ladies and gentlemen. The books that we're looking at here the the locomotive cyclopedia is is 80 years old easy. Um, the big boy book um, is you know was going on 40 50 years old. Most public libraries do not have a very expansive railroad section. Um, hey, let's face it, we, we like trains, and it's, it's a very niche kind of hobby, if you will. There's tons of information out there. You just got to do a little digging. And what I want to send you down the path of today is kind of three things. One, your librarian, that's your friend. That is your friend. Ask your librarian. They will be able to help you. Also, if you are out on the internet, here's item number two, virtually every state has a statewide library catalog. So yeah, it might not be in your small local library, but there's a library somewhere in your state that may have one of these books or other older railroad books that you might be interested in. Third, Most states, if you look at their university or college system, that system has a catalog that discusses books in the entire system. I'm going to use Wisconsin here for an example. The UW system, the University of Wisconsin system, has a catalog that you can dial into and look at books in literally all of their locations, including the Wisconsin State Historical Society, where the two are associated. Now, a lot of those materials, you might not be able to take and check it out and take it home with you, but you can go to one of their research facilities and look at the books, possibly even copy pages out of them, make notes from them. So you want to find some good books like this that are going to give you that, that information that's deep down, way behind the scenes? you got to take and dig for it. Make your librarian your friend. Look at a statewide catalog. Check out your local college and university. And look, as a bonus today, point number four, talk to your local railroad museum or maybe even a model railroad club in your town. Some of those model railroad clubs have some pretty impressive libraries. So, yeah, I'm showing you some older books. And if you want to you wanna look for them, man, you got to do a little digging. Do you like what you hear? Listen, check out this episode in video with a Trains.com Unlimited Membership. Click the link in the episode notes and watch it today. Oh wait a minute, not a member? Try our 30-day free trial of Trains.com, the ultimate online portal for anyone who loves trains of any size from any era. Trains.com, it's your home for the most comprehensive railroading news and curated video series, articles, photos, and so much more, all about trains.